Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And of course, that's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say a very good morning to John Arnott. Good morning, John. Hey, Pam. How are you going? And happy Botanic Gardens Day. Happy Botanic Gardens Day, yes. Yep. And happy Reconciliation Week, and I think it's Sorry Day as well. So yes, so there you go. A lot yeah, going on. A few things colliding. Absolutely. Um, yes. But yeah, yeah, it's National Botanic Gardens Day, and um, that's my happy day. <laughs> 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 and we're going to have to do a lot of talking all about what's happening today. Indeed, because there's, there's a bit on. Yep. yep, absolutely. We also have to say a very good morning to Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. Morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. And uh, we're back to winter, I think. <laughs> or well, we're yes, arriving it's, early. Yeah, it's, 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 it's two or three days early, but yes. it's, I think it's winter. I think it's going to hit with a vengeance yep. this week. Yeah, never mind. Good. Hail, no, snow, well, <laughs> you good. name it. I, I think we be thankful for our winters from now on. Absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, last week was a bit, it was beautiful, like 20 degree sunny days, but that's kind of a bit odd, isn't it, at the end, right at the end of autumn? Well, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, 20 degrees, 21 degrees, I think it was, yeah. in you know, some parts of the suburb, suburban Melbourne. Yeah. Well, yesterday was very nice for us. Still autumn leaves everywhere. Yes, Lots of right. people. It was very pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all the same, right at the end of, well, winter, just three or four days around the corner. Mm. Mm. And you would have had a nice drop of rain last night? Uh, not so much a drop as a crash of rain. Several crashes of rain. That, uh, so I'm wondering about our paths this morning. Yeah, but okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. But... Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's promising that it'll be doing the right thing for us over the next few weeks at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Terrific. And we also have to say a very good morning to Evan Golke from Oka Landscape. Morning, Evan. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's a nice, nice crew in here today. Yes. I, I just made it because I looked at Instagram at 8.30 last night and saw my name on the list. Oh, oh no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what tomorrow. Oh, that'll be great. <laughs> Thanks goodness for Instagram. Yes, I'll say. I was just, I was just saying that, Evan, off here, I, I, um, uh, I don't rely on Chloe, um, but I have as a reminder to tell me that I'm on this show. <laughs> I have been prompted on, on uh, more than one occasion. Okay. Uh, and have asked the question numerous yeah, who's times. Who's on this week? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. I have just, a funny just, feeling. I, it's, it's, yeah. it's that kind of thing. Yeah. You do I, have that yeah, feeling. Yeah, you do have that feeling. <laughs> so thanks, Chloe, for, for um, your uh, support. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you mean I have to start sending out reminders to everybody? <laughs> Goodness me. Uh, I've, I've actually, because uh, I just got um, the back end of the year's roster, yes. and, and I've actually put it into my electronic diary. Ah. I've stuck it into my work diary, so right. I should be right. Okay. So now it's definitely lost. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to remember where it is. No, no. Well, oh, you, you, I live my life by my electronic work diary okay. these days. It's, uh, mm. it's one of those schedulers that just tells me what to do and where to be and yep. not how to act necessarily. Okay. <laughs> John, let's get back to 
Botanic Gardens Day. Sure. Um, firstly, what's the whole idea behind it? It's been running now for a few years, hasn't it? Uh, I think this is the fourth year that, yep. it's, that it's run. It's an initiative of uh, BGANS, which is Botanic Gardens of Australia and New Zealand, which is the peak industry group. Um, and it was an in- initiative of, of the committee a few years ago to have uh, a, a dedicated day in the calendar which really celebrates the role of, or the roles of botanic gardens um, in conservation. It's the, that's the, the, the kind of the byline is um, the role of the botanic gardens play in contributing to a, a more sustainable um, uh, planet and indeed the role that botanic gardens play in the conservation of our flora mm-hmm. or floras. Yes. Um, because, you know, it, it's botanic gardens, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, and there's this magnificent diversity of botanic gardens. Oh, um, gosh, yes. Well, in Victoria, we've got an extraordinary um, uh, range of, of regional botanic gardens. And they all have their different character and collections focus and different constituent communities. And, and, and when you uh, aggregate, I think there's 160 botanic gardens which are, which are members of, of BGANs. Um, and you think, okay, well, they're going to be in Tasmania, Victoria, all the way up the eastern seaboard. Um, there's botanic gardens in um, Alice Springs. There's a, 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 Alice botanic gardens in the top end. There's a new botanic garden which is being developed in the Kimberley. Right. You know, the geographic spread of botanic gardens across Australia, yep. um, if you aggregate that and you know, look at the collective, it's a really powerful um, mm-hmm. horticultural force. Many of these botanic gardens are actually working on actively working on conservation programs for, for local florists. Um, so it's B- Botanic Gardens Day, it's, it's really just about you know, um, raising awareness of botanic gardens, but celebrating and focusing on that really important plant conservation role that, that, that happens. Mm-hmm. So where in the Kimberley are they, they doing it's that? Actually, it's actually a private garden. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, in just out of Broome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the focus will be uh, the, the, the Kimberley flora. Mm-hmm. Which is a remarkable flora. We we we, so we, uh, we went there a few years ago, and you, you know, as a native plant nut, you think you know a little bit about a little bit. Well, you, you know, you, you know, you don't know a lot of stuff. <laughs> but when you go to somewhere like the Kimberley, it's it's like a completely different planet. Yeah, it's a different country. It's a different country altogether. Yeah, <laughs> all these deciduous <laughs> plants that 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 are, are bit, which is bare. Because we were there at the end of the dry season. Right. Mm. <coughs> and all these, you know, I think there's 35 different species of deciduous trees um, in, in the Kimberley. But they're not cold deciduous, they're, they're dry, dry, dry deciduous. Mm. And, you know, all these families and genera that I just didn't understand. It was um, a, a, amazing. And that connection with Africa and Madagascar. And well, that so boab. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. The, the boab <laughs> connection is something else, isn't it? Yeah, they should film more TV series on the ABC and the Kimberley Star Thicket. It, it just looks an extraordinary place. Because they, they, those, those boabs, they, I mean, <clears throat> I think they, the, the presence of boabs is the thing that defines the, the region of the Kimberley. Uh, so I think the natural distribution of the of the boab is is the the political not the political the 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 uh, the border the boundary of the Kimberley region. Okay. Um, and I mean that plant is found nowhere else in Australia apart from the Kimberleys. It there's a another population of something really 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 similar looking in um, Africa, and the rock art has mm. got has got a completely different feel okay. in that part of the country. It's got Tinges of, of African rock art. 
Wow. So there's a, you know, there's a possibility yeah. that there, there was a cultural connection right. happening in that part of the, the, the world you know, many, 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 a long time ago. Yep. Um, and that the plants were actually brought to that region by people. Mm. Extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that saved them too is they're not very good timber. Uh, timber no, because they'd be they'd trees. be they'd be pulpy. Yeah, they're, oh, they're, they're horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so that means they they're all still there, right which is wonderful. <laughs> so they've never been harvested. That's right. <laughs> well, some of them, some of the huge um, uh, boabs in the Kimberley were used as. You know, prison um, cells. And, That's right. You know, all, manner, all, that, all yeah. manner of things. And I remember an yeah. old National Geographic magazine with extraordinary photos of them. Of those huge... Those, yes. Yeah, yeah amazing. Lock-ups. Lock-ups. Yeah. Lock yes. Yeah, they're yeah. not tall trees either, those no. ones. But no. But they're incredibly fat trunks. Yeah, yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah, yeah so, so there is a new botanic garden being developed in the, in the Kimberley. Um, and what a botanic garden that'll be! What a what a uh, flora to exploit, um, that that Kimberley flora. Yeah. So yeah, botanic it's it's so botanic gardens day, um, and you know it's an, it, encouraging people to it's a, so it's a shout out for botanic gardens. Yes, go and have a look at your local botanic garden and go and um, have a walk in one. Go and have a walk in one. Many gardens are running programs yes. uh, focused um, specifically. Uh, to today, mm-hmm. uh, other gardens are running existing programs, but they're just sort of badged. Yes, uh, right. Along the the open day mm-hmm. things, yeah. So, yeah, get out to your local botanic garden and support it. Absolutely. Yeah. John, how many private botanic gardens are there in that list? Not many, not many. <laughs> um, there's uh, there's a number of private collections that that would have have got enough. Uh, you know, curatorial mm. diversity and, uh, you know, really well-managed uh, diverse collections of plants in, in the private realm. Well, I guess that's where Plant Trust comes in. That is, yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, they could be, yes, well, they're certainly botanical collections which are held in the private, uh, in private gardens. Um, but no, not a lot of private, you know, small b, small g botanic gardens or big, I think the garden in the Kimberley, they're, they're throwing some serious resources at it. Yeah, mm. so... Jeremy, wow. have you had any more thoughts about? Um, I know last time you were on with John, he was suggesting Cloud Hill become a botanic garden. Yeah, well, <laughs> sitting here very quietly and wondering. Um, uh, well, I haven't really. Uh, well, I've, I've thought about it. Yes, <laughs> good. Uh, and um, yeah, there's some interesting things. I suppose our plants are um, they're interesting historically and in the connections with. Um, Fairly famous, important people around the world, yep. and uh, so it's it's it, um, it's partly the plants and partly the the um, connections yep. uh, which uh, make some of our plants interesting. That's I, right. I, I really right. need to come and pay you a visit. Um, Nibelius Nursery, the old Nibelius yep. Nursery site. Was it the nursery site at the Emerald Lake Nibelius? That's a, a, a botanic garden. They're yep. a, a part of the botanic garden network. Um, and they're working on doing some labelling, and, and they've got those. It's, I'm imagining a similar thing where, where there's a framework of heritage trees that have got provenance and information and are documented, mm. at least to a point. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a little um, group of people who were working in the hills in the Emerald, uh, Mount Dandenong, the, the, the general area, uh, for about two or three generations, and running from the Nobelius family, the. Uh, um, and then a, num- a number of the nursery families, and, and then two or three private individuals. Well, more than that, about five or six, I suppose. Right. And um, 
they're just about all past now. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. but but on the other hand, as you drive around the hills, you can see where they've been busy from well, one end of the place to the other. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Mm. I mean, horticulture in the hills has been—it's just a fabric part of the fabric of the hills. Yes. Oh, it is. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I guess it all hinges back on what sort of documentation there is around some of these. That that helps. I mean, the. the, the there's a dictionary definition of a botanic garden, mm-hmm. which is documented collections of living plants for the purposes of, and then there's a list of purposes. Right. Um, display, conservation, research, interpretation, etc., etc., etc. The documented collections of, of, uh, of plants for display, um, the documented bit's important for, for a botanic garden. So, yep. so you know what you've got and you know what, you've, what you're uh, exhibiting and displaying. Okay. But documented collections of plants which are, avo- which are uh, publicly accessible equals a botanic garden. Okay. Um, yeah. How so much paperwork have you done, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> well, instantly I'm thinking, well, most probably uh, the, the most important, one of the more important groups of plants that we have are our tree rhododendrons, the arboreum rhododendrons. Right. And there's a fair old collection of them yeah. uh, running from the Chinese forms, the Himalayan forms, the um, Indian forms, uh, all the way down to Sri Lanka, uh, scattered through the gardens. They're just phenomenal plants. And I have no idea where they came from. <laughs> but you're so really frustrating. But have you got names? Are they well, 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 yes, yeah. uh, because they're, they're fairly obvious, actually. Right, okay. they, they can be identified yeah, quite yeah. easily. Sure. Uh, so we have the Chinese ones, uh, Cambellii, the, uh, the Indian one is Delavei. Yeah, sure. Uh, that, that's actually the national flower of Nepal, and we have a spectacular example of that. And then there's Selanica, which is the Sri Lankan one, nice. uh, which is incredible because you've got something which wants to flower in the spring that somehow got itself to the equator and it's growing in amongst the tea plantations in the middle of Sri Lanka. <laughs> it, it's lost its flowering period. And so, we, uh, you know, you look at this this magnificent thing and people ask well when do I see a flowering we well never quite sure flower in the middle of autumn a couple of years ago <laughs> <laughs> but that you don't think well you should know that uh, the the natural distribution of rhododendrons is really interesting when you think tip of tip of um, you know the mountains around Cairns this that's the sort of the one end of the distribution and then you've got Portugal at the other end. Yeah. And then, you know, all the way through China and the high country and the Himalayas. And yeah, so the, and, and Europe. a few, few in the United States. And oh, that, yeah. That's really occurring. Mm. Uh, and, um, yeah, yeah, so the, I, I, I was speaking to a botanist uh, who had been with a group of people trekking through uh, the Australian uh, area distribution for this, <laughs> for yeah. the Red Engines, yeah. and they had actually discovered a hybrid swarm. Right. Uh, didn't say how many, but quite a few rhododendrons, all of them quite different from one to the next. And it's the sort of thing that crops up in gardens occasionally. Yeah. Uh, uh, but to see a hybrid swarm in the wild, and, and I think for botanists, it's a bit of a worry, actually. <laughs> they never quite know what to do. Sure. And, and uh, that's definitely it was, uh, you know, his, his thought on the matter. Well, it's interesting, but uh, we'll just try and ignore this because uh, we don't want to add another 20 species, uh, yeah. one of uh, each plant representing another species. Yeah. We've, we've, we've had some staff... Um, recently up in the uh, far north Queensland pinks and we're going back there in a couple of weeks time um, and saw those wild populations of rhododendron lockyer and the botanists I think at one point it was two species the Australian Rhododendron Society think that there's three or four different things yeah. 
but the botanists have done the lump. They've lumped it all back to rhododendron locking well, yeah, So they reckon I there's think, one thing up there. Yeah, I think that makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a variable species, a bit like arboreum. It's one species, but wherever you go, and, and you know, it's, it's, it grows. So we're in the area of, of well, thousands, tens of thousands of kilometres. Yep. Uh, mm. it's, it's colossal. But wherever you go, it's slightly different. Yeah. And so there's been a lot of selections of it in, uh, over the years. Yeah. There's a, you look at the, all the various plants that we have, and there's a similarity to them. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, uh, well, yeah, they could be different species, but yeah. maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave yeah. that to the, the botanists the, to argue, aren't <laughs> The splitters will split and the lumpers yes. will lump. But I really do need to, to come out and have a look. Hmm, yeah. um, let's do it. <laughs> yes. yes, why not? Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm here to urge you on. <laughs> That's right. You are the facilitator. <laughs> That's my job. You are the facilitator. <laughs> yeah. Just get it into his electronic diary. <laughs> yeah, yes. You have no choice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to get to some community announcements because um, some of them are very pertinent for um, today and uh, the next coming few days. First up, of course... Uh, as I said, we're talking uh, Botanic Gardens Day and Melton Botanic Gardens have got um, a big happening out there today. Uh, now, they've got guided tours um, on the Bacchus Marsh Lions Club train, would you believe? Terrific. They've got plant nursery sales, discovery table, refreshments, bee information and sales, uh, Greater Western Community Band will be playing and there'll be children's art and plant activities. So that's all happening today up at uh, Melton Botanic Gardens, 10am this morning, running through until 3 this afternoon. The address is at 21 Williams Street in Melton. And, uh, yes, go to a botanic gardens near you. Now, the other thing that uh, Melton Botanic Gardens are doing, and I know they do this every year as well, that uh, on uh, Friday the 31st of May... They will be celebrating Reconciliation Week with a guided walking tour of the gardens. And uh, you meet at uh, 10 a.m. and be running through until noon. There'll be morning tea um, uh, provided as well. You meet at the Depot and Plant Nursery, which is that same address, 21 William Street in Melton. Um, you do need to book uh, for catering, but it isn't essential. But if you could book, that would be helpful. You can uh, book by phoning John Bentley on 9743-3819 and leave a message if that's unattended. Or you can email friends at fmbg.org.au. So that's ha taking place on the 31st of May. And, uh, of course, they're going to be having a, a look at... Uh, Many of their indigenous plants, um, Aboriginal use of uh, plants including bush tucker plants. Uh, so the gentle walk will be about one and a half hours, as I said, followed by morning tea. And highlights of the natural features and remnant vegetation along Ryan's Creek, the lake, um, indigenous planting, uh, Koori Student Garden, Indigenous People's Garden, uh, Victorian Volcanic Plains Garden and the Bush Foods Garden. So... They're a very active group up at... Uh, I mean, John, John Bentley does a wonderful job rallying the troops yeah, there. Yeah, he does. He's another facilitator. <laughs> he is, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but, but, but more than that, I mean, I think the, the Melton Gardens, it's been going for... I think they've been planting for just on 10 years. Yes, I'd say 10. And that list of Indigenous plant collections that they've developed, mm. it, 
I, I'd be fascinated to know, and, and maybe if John's listening in, he might, he might tell us how many plant species have been assembled and collected over, over that period. But I'm guessing that it's going to be well over a thousand, mm. um, well over a thousand plants that have been, you know, collected, planted, cared for, estab- established. Yep. They punch well above their weight. Oh yes. And this is a botanic garden which is which is supported by council, but facilitated by community. Yep. Um, and uh, remarkable achievements, remarkable Absolutely. achievements. Yes. And uh, and they're a really interesting model. And it, it's in, it, it's interesting the 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 three new botanic gardens in Victoria. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The model is that they're that they've been seeded by the community. They're there's, they're effectively being curated by the community with the support of, of, of local council. So I'm thinking Melton Botanic Garden. If it were not for that, for the for the for the friends of group mm. and the drive of people like John, mm. um, that project probably wouldn't have flown. Yep. Shepparton Botanic Garden is a new, so it's called the Australian Botanic Garden at Shepparton. A, a different approach, but again community driven, with a couple of champions in the community that have really supported and pushed this project through. Right. And they're achieving some really lovely things um, right. at the Shepparton Botanic Garden. And there's a new garden in a place called Gagari. Where's that? It's about 35, 40 kilometres to the west of Shepparton. Okay. Gagari has a, has a population of 200 people. Right. <laughs> they, they have a Taylor Cullity Lefeline Botanic Garden concept master plan. Good heavens. We, we received some um, information this week that they've actually received some funding to, to do detailed design development work for their first stage. Wow. Um, we, the Big Ends committee were, were um, doing some work at Shepparton, but we thought we'd drop, drop in at Gagari. Uh, we had 20 people, we had 10% of the, of the town's population <laughs> attend the public meeting effectively. Right. Including the mayor, the past mayor, ward councillors, a bunch of people from the community. So this little community of Gagaro, Gagari, uh, going to establish a botanic garden and it's called Gagaro, which is um, difficult. That's a bit confusing. <laughs> it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, the botanic garden's called Gagaro, yeah, and the town's called Gagari. Um, but this this 200 um, people community are mm. going to have a, a botanic garden, and it's going to be a cracking garden. It's a really nice design. Yeah. Um, and again, that's about community. Yeah. Uh, they must have done a heck of a lot of fundraising, John. It was interesting. I think it was the, and I, I could get this wrong, but I think it was the SPC at Mona. There was a there was a, 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 factory, a, a, a plant, yep. yeah, a canning plant, yep. uh, and that closed down. And there was a, a, a significant donation from SBC ah, right. to the community, uh, and it was for the purpose of uh, community cap- capacity building. Okay, it landed on a botanic garden, so there was some really nice seed funding that that purchased the land. And they've got a lot of water as well. Right. They've got water rights, which is really important. Oh yes. So they've got a parcel of land, um, a, a nice bit of land just in town. Um, they've got water, which is which is really good. Mm. Um, they've got this. They've got some seed funding. Mm. They're getting some support from. I think now I should know, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it's a state government, uh, you know, rural, grant rural, rural communities grant. Okay. To to do this this concept development. Right. What's well, design development? They've already developed the concept. Yep. So it's actually design development, something that they can build. Yes. So shop drawings that they can actually build off. Fantastic. Yeah. It's an, yeah. It's an extra, extra, and extraordinary. obviously they've got the support of local council oh, as well. Oh, support of local council and the community are yep. just absolutely behind it. On, on the Facebook page, there's, a, there's actually an image of, of 
Gagaro community sitting at the fence line before they'd started planting. Wow. Um, okay. They're going to do it. Yep. This community of 200 people are going to actually... That is amazing. What it. a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. Yes. How, many, how many acres, John? Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that it's uh, five to seven. Yeah. So, so not big, but not small. It's by, not small. By, no, not small by <laughs> any means. Um, uh, and they've, you know, they've got the site they've put in the avenue. They've put in a... a, a, a an amphitheatre and sound shell. Yes. So, so it, it, it exists. It's a. It, wow. It, yeah, it has form and function um, already. It's That's quite, fantastic. It's quite remarkable. Yep. And then there's a Chuka Moama, which is about 10 years ago. There was a, a botanic garden at the Chuka, well, actually in Moama. Yep. Um, and again, that was driven by the community. Mm. So it's, it's, these community-driven botanic gardens are you know, the, the, the more recent model. Um, but that's on the back of, you know, you know, these legacy gardens that have been there for 150, 160 right, years. Right, right, yeah. yep. Yeah, so we've got everything from, you know, the oldest to, 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 the, to, newest. to the newest, yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a, I, look, I see this as a little bit of a model for, uh, for well, a huge stretch of Australian <laughs> countryside. I, uh, you know, the, the worries about, well, winter and what's happening to our climate and yep. the stresses put on ecosystems at the moment. Yep. Uh, the idea of communities actually getting together and, and, and thinking about what on earth their, their, their environment is and, and, and working to, well, preserve elements of it at least and seed that back into the surrounding landscape is just, there's huge potential. There, there is, oh, there is huge potential. Yeah. And I, I, in, in the, sorry. Yeah. I mean, it really worries me at the moment that uh, what's happening in, in uh, uh, well, west of the Great Divide all right through eastern Australia has is, is been a flip of the climate and, mm. and uh, uh, really, agriculture, as we've known it, is is becoming more. It's becoming almost impossible, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really worried about this. That mm. uh, you know, the Americans had their Dust Bowl in the 1930s, mm. but that was just a period of a few years. But mm. uh, Australia, there's a colossal area of Australia which is. I was talking to a friend about this, and we've had 30 years now. 30 years of extremely low and erratic rainfall mm. and at what point do we decide that this is a major major problem mm. and and uh, and and of course it, the first thing it affects is is the um, vegetation and and the uh, you know all the critters <laughs> depend on the vegetation so I, everything I, along I can, this line has got to be to the good absolutely i can hear a collective sigh mm. <laughs> across across much of australia as you speak yeah, yeah. Because we know this stuff. Yeah. Just, but, but, this, but these community run, this is, this is direct action. Mm. Yeah. In the absence of anything other, as, you, as, you, as in federal, a federal agenda, these community groups, this is direct action. Yeah. It this, is. This is I mean, if you want to be really pessimistic, to run a line across the Pacific and see what the landscape looks like in South America and there's the equivalent... Uh, uh, distance from the equator, and you're looking at some of the most notorious deserts in the world. Mm. Mm. And if if the climate has flipped, and and uh, you know, and, and Australia is going to, and and these areas of Australia are going to look a lot more like the equivalent areas in South America. Australia's got huge problems, mm. and this is not being talked about. And, and and there's a role for botanic gardens. There's absolutely a role for botanic gardens in. Um, discussing that agenda, mm. um, but also looking at um, 
landscape adaptation and plant adaptation. The, the, the landscape succession strategy of the Melbourne Gardens says what does Melbourne look like in 50, 70, 80, 90 years and what are the plants that we should be growing that are going to be adapted to this hotter, drier condition? Yeah. Um, so some of that is kind of research work. Mm. Um, the, you know, the next palette of, of urban plants for southeastern Australia um, can come out of places like Botanic Gardens because yeah. they're, they're thinking about yeah. the suitability of plant species to, to a changing climate into the future. Yeah, well, that's where um, these regional gardens are so great. Yes. Uh, oh, and yes. Melton is fabulous in that respect in that it, if you live around that area, if you live on that red clay, yep. you can go down to Melton Botanical Gardens and you can find a, a suite of plants yep. that you could use in your garden and you'll know will be successful. Absolutely. Rather mm. than going into the Royal Horticultural, um, you know, sort of plant library yep. and, and looking at what you'd love to put in. Yeah, yes. yeah exactly. Um, rather you can go there and see what, what works. Because exactly. Because it, it is a pretty tricky site. Sure. The Melton site because yeah. it is a floodplain type site. Sure. So the, the soil's very heavy. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're building up beds and, and doing that sort of thing. Absolutely. And they just have the most extraordinary collection, particularly of small eucalypts. Yes. Incredible. Um, Incredible. They have this Lehmanai variety there that I remember walking past. Saying, what the oh, hell is what that? Is and that? It just has the most amazing fruit bu- uh, yeah. buds, flower yeah. buds mm. on it. So, you know, I think that's the real, that's a wonderful role for the local yep. area. That's where they have a lot of value. And, and, and it, it speaks to the people that live to the west of Melbourne, mm. Kawara Gardens up in the hills. Um, it, it's a completely different climate. It's a completely different suite of plants. So it's that kind of local identity yes. and, and growing plants that are suited to, to those local conditions mm. and demonstrating. So, mm. th- so botanic gardens can be places of, of, of ideas and inspiration, mm. um, but also places where you can actually get, take those, get that information about what's, what plants are suited to this, to my, to my space, mm. to my garden in, in Keel or and beyond that, it's uh, the, the areas of, of uh, well, natural vegetation as much as there can be natural vegetation in, in Australia's landscape today. Uh, how we think about those yeah. uh, just scattered through the general landscape. Yeah. Uh, certainly, where um, I, I was uh, in WA farming in WA for many years, and and. Uh, I'd say about 20, 30% of the landscape was still in its natural state, sure. except it wasn't quite. No. <laughs> in fact, none of it was. Yeah. But it looked, as you're driving around, as though it was. All the hilltops and the road verges, road verges and quite yeah. wide road verges. Yeah. We had a, uh, a road and a railway beside each yeah. other, so quite a broad strip of, yeah. of what looked like natural vegetation. Yeah. Yeah. And there were species there which were really important, uh, that holding on by their fingertips mm-hmm. uh, all through these uh, pockets. Yeah. Um, and so somehow or other we, we need to, to get these gardens, these botanic gardens into, uh, get the idea that, com- that there are community botanic gardens scattered everywhere yep. and, and get those ideas flowing back. We need that inflow between the, the natural landscape and the, and these areas yep. where things can be watched and monitored very carefully. And, and it's the role of those botanic gardens to, to do relevant things for that region. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking that another example is the Port Augusta yeah, Botanic Garden. Port Augusta, well, yeah. a great example. Isn't that another great yeah, example? Yeah, it's a fabulous yeah. place. And again, driven by community, mm. supported by council. Yeah, but I mean, it's, some, it's, a model, it's a model for the future, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. we, we have to take responsibility for the landscape. It's, yeah. a, it's a man-made landscape from now on. Uh, most probably it's politically incorrect, but it's a, it's a human landscape. It's yeah. a... 
and and we have to take responsibility for it. And this is yep. uh, most probably the way forward. Yep. Mm. Definitely. Well, if uh, it's high time we uh, opened up our talkback lines, if you'd like to join in the discussion, we'd love to hear from you this morning. The number is 94190155. We have John Arnott, Evan Golke and Jeremy Francis in the studio. So uh, that number, 94190155. I do need to get to a couple of other quick community announcements. Uh, there's another big event taking place today. Um, and uh, this is uh, a day that's been entitled Dirt Day. Um, and uh, it's all about uh, a series of um, talks and uh, practical workshops running for the day, uh, all to do with uh, making your soil work for you and for our health. So uh, international, internationally recognised leading soil scientist Dr Mary Cole We'll be giving a couple of lectures this morning, uh, well, throughout the day, actually. And uh, she will also be joined by Marlene Hoff from 100 Mile Foodies. There'll be hands-on composting workshops. There'll be planting and kids' activities. There'll be site tours, organic soil treatment demos and samples. And uh, there'll also be a community picnic. You can be YO Food to Share or you can share in some of the, their seasonal um, produce out there. Now, this is all taking place at Downs Estate Community uh, Project, which is in Old Wells Road in Seaford. It's opposite the Motorbike Club there. Uh, now, Downs Estate is an old farm property on Old Wells Road in Seaford. It's now owned by Frankston Council, but part of the site has been licensed to the local community group Downs Estate Community Project to develop as a community site for environmental and community activities. Uh, so, th- again, it's the community leading the way. It is. That's good. So having, a, having a soil scientist there is a, is a really is cool wonderful. thing. That's because fantastic. soils are so misunderstood. They really are. I, mean, you, you, I know there have been some challenges out at Cranberry. Yeah. But, you know, we have it all the time in, in the projects that we're doing. So mm. we're doing big projects, yeah. you know, schools and, uh, and big community centres, things where you've just got completely modified soils mm. and nothing natural mm. and just sort of getting people to understand and yeah. getting the whole industry, the soil industry, to understand this is what we need. Yeah, yeah. This is what we need to put in. No, we don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it might look great for the first year or yeah, two. Yeah. But then it degenerates yep. and understanding soil. So it's really fantastic to have a soil scientist at something like that because it's so – the importance of it is so underrated. Yep. And it's actually the foundation of everything you do on top. Indeed, mm. yeah, yeah. Get that yep. right, everything exactly. else falls into place. Yep. Everything else falls yep. in place, yep. yeah. Yep. So uh, the day is running from 10 o'clock this morning through to 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, $5 entry and children are free. So if you're down in the Seaford area, I think it would be a brilliant day to go along to. And really terrific. So lots and lots of practical activities and workshops for people to really get a... A feel for the soil yeah. and, and what mm. they can do to help improve it. And it was called Dirt Day. Dirt was, Day. What a great name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got uh, their next illustrated talk coming up on uh, next Wednesday, 29th of May. Um, 7 o'clock for Nibbles, 7.30 uh, for the talk. 
And this is going to be all about uh, the flora of Szechuan in the footsteps of the great plant hunter Ernest Wilson. <laughs> now, the talk's being given by Jeff Crowhurst. And uh, as I say, the details are um, next Wednesday, the 29th, 7 o'clock for Nibble, 7.30 for the talk. It'll be held in uh, Maiden Building down at Burnley, uh, uh, Room 11. Cost is $10 if you're a member of the Friends Group, $20 if you're a non-member. Um, bookings aren't required for this one, and there's plenty of parking available in the boulevard. And uh, just one uh, for the diaries. Uh, this is the next um, themed guided walk down at Geelong Botanic Gardens, and their June-themed guided walk is going to be all about... Um, uh, looking at all the deciduous trees that have lost their leaves and the evergreen conifers get revealed in all their grandeur. So it's happening on Sunday the 9th of June, 2 o'clock start, meet your guide at the front steps of Geelong Botanic Gardens and the cost is simply a gold coin donation. Okay, as I mentioned, uh, if you'd like to join us this morning, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. And uh, first up, we're going to go to Pam in Clinton. Morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Great topic. I'm sitting here doing my quinces and I'm listening. Oh, me. terrific. Uh, look, Botanic Gardens. Of course, you all know about the Botanic Gardens in Clinton, mm. which we don't get a lot of support for. And we've got some of the most amazing trees in that garden. Really have. Mm. But the plantings, but as friends, I'm a friend of the gardens oh. have been since I moved up here. So we're not allowed to do work in the gardens. So so the council doesn't allow us. We've had two two days where they've given us special approval so that we can go in and do a couple of the beds. But, but like you were saying with the gardens and the talk that you've been, you know, what I've been listening to... Yep. The gardens all need friends. It's the friends that drive them. Absolutely. That's right. Uh, and if the community doesn't get behind them, as the community doesn't seem to do here, the community gets um, it's this environment push and, and the willows are all down and all of this sort of thing. Yep. Um, and, of course, along at the bottom of our botanic gardens, the willows at this time of year used to be absolutely stunning. And, of course, they've all gone now. Yep. And it, it just breaks my heart sometimes that those stunning trees and some of the other stunning trees around our town, uh, you know, are, are not going to be um, considered or cared for. There's really not a lot of support around here for our gardens or Malmesbury either, for that matter. Well, I mean, your, your shire actually runs, uh, has got responsibility for many than three botanic gardens. There's the... They have. The Gisborne mm. Botanic Gardens, Malmesbury mm. and Kyneton. So, mm. you know, so the shire of the Macedon Ranges, is it? It is. Yeah. Maybe it's a, a money issue... Um, you know, a money issue or a focus issue? I'm, I'm not sure. But my yeah. advice, my advice there is, I mean, there's plenty of examples where community. Well, we've just talked about these these community-driven, highly engaged community um, mm. botanic gardens. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there's no. So my advice is to start lobbying, and, and because mm. there's there's the the Kyneton Botanic Gardens 
would have to benefit from high levels of community engagement and involvement and, and activity. There's, there, there is a direct correlation between really effective friends groups and botanic gardens that are pr- progressing and oh, uh, being well managed. Mm. Um, so, so just keep lobbying. Um, to, keep writing letters. And you lose heart. Like, so I started off, because when I joined the Friends up here, <clears throat> I just naturally assumed, all right, I'll join the Friends and I'll do a day or two a month. Yep. Working in the in, garden. In the garden, but yeah. That was not the case. It'd um, be it'd be interesting to unpack why 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 that is, and mm. because there's yeah it, it it it's that would seem to me to be a missed opportunity. Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I I I did a workshop for the um, Gisborne Botanic Gardens about two months ago, and and I had a sense that council Gisborne um, actually they do allow their volunteers. They do have volunteers that work in their garden. Which is which is the which is my point mm. because it's the same local government authority. That's right. So so I, I think the barriers for for actually working there they're not insurmountable by any means. Um, so keep lobby, keep lob- lobbying. Maybe have a chat with the, the the friends of the Gisborne Gardens, and see what they did in order to enable them to actually be more actively involved, uh, and see if that's a model that might work for for, for you at Kyneton. Is there a role, John, in setting up um, a meeting between council and the friends group, and maybe even getting a representative from Begans sure. along to that meeting, sure. so that this whole thing could be discussed? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because it makes so much more sense it to really, allow the friends in to it, be doing the work really that the does. garden needs. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, gardens, local government has to fund all manner of things. Uh, so botanic gardens are competing for resources and priorities, and that's right. um, so uh, and and that's not to say that you displace that by bringing volunteers in, mm. but to augment the the work of council and to enhance the work of council, uh, and to. You know, to, I, I think the really great botanic gardens are community hubs. They're, they're places where the community has ownership and are hands-on. Um, so, and, and, and it's interesting that two gardens within the two gardens within the same municipality are, are doing different things with respect to friends group engagements. Yes. So, I, you know, I would think that there, there would be opportunity opportunity it's there. Hard. It is very hard to get support for them here for some strange reason. Um, it's a very hard town to garden in. Um, because of the weather conditions and the soil conditions. Sure. That, but that's it. It's a terrific garden. Yeah. Do you think, Pam, that it, it's been uh, perhaps a little bit that the gardens have been there so long that, that the locals have forgotten about them? They, they, they just take them for granted? Possibly. Um, Sorry for you asking. Well, maybe, they, <laughs> maybe they do. And, of course, Kyneton is changing so much now. I mean, over the rivers from me, where I can see, they're doing a new estate in something like four or five house, hundred houses are going in. Mm. And yes. They're all going in on tiny little blocks. Some yeah. of them only 350. I mean, I nearly had a fit when I saw it. But, um, but that means the Botanic Garden becomes even, even more, more crucial. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, yes, all right. It's, actually, it's our meeting tomorrow night. I, I, I think there's some, just thinking, reflecting on Kyneton, you know, if, if I was thinking about the Kyneton Botanic Gardens three or four years ago, there were still caravans being parked underneath these heritage oh, trees. Oh, no, they've been well gone. They, they've they're gone, yeah. But, but, um, but that was a really good result. That was a really pivotal and, moment. And I think a lot of the, in all fairness, I think a lot of the um, focus has been on the new um, park that they've put down the bottom. Sure. Yeah, so... 
So hopefully, if that can be incorporated more into the botanic gardens, it might give more focus sure. on the actual gardens. Anyway. Mm. Yeah. There's another group, sorry, Jeremy, there's another group called the Association of Friends of Botanic Gardens. Um, and, you know, it might be worth having a, a conversation with other botanic gardens to see how, how, how they lobby and, uh, you know, possibly even ask someone like John Bentley to come up to your, to your friends meeting, um, and have a chat to John to see if any of that work, that, that advocacy work and the, Fundraising and the grants that John's been able to attract to, to Melton, whether that, whether some of that's transferable into your, into your community. Mm. They're, they're thinking of joining up with the local garden club. That's probably not a bad idea either. Why not? Um, yeah. So, and it might help to give us a. The other focus hasn't worked. It might help to give a bit of focus and to incorporate more people, to, to make it people more aware of them. I think. This is really, really interesting. I was sitting here uh, with breath baited uh, because uh, I mean, this this has come up with Cloud Hill as well, um, and uh, people offering to help. And uh, uh, I, I must admit, I've, I've just been, never been organised enough and had the resources enough to to get into it. But just in the last year or two, we've been experimenting with uh, two or three people doing interns for the sake of <laughs> calling it something yeah. um, and so uh, people offering uh, to help for a few days at a time and in exchange for um, uh, uh, lots of, well on one level it's supervision, on another level it's, it's sharing information and, it's, and it requires a lot of effort from both parties. Sure. And and that, and this is where botanic gardens. That, that this is the whole point of botanic gardens. So there's got to be something here that's that's uh, uh, that's um, a little bit of a roadblock. Which um, which I, I agree. It, 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 there must be pinpointing what the problem is. And then then it, once you've pinpointed it, then it can be surmounted. Yeah. I mean, this is the point of these gardens yeah. exactly. that the friends groups and that the information flows backwards and forwards from the from the the garden to the community. Mm. So still, the, the friends group is still involved. Yeah. But just not with the manual side of things, like with the. And I think it might be the direction issue and the insurance issue. I think. Might I, look, I, I can see all sorts of reasons yeah, why uh, a small botanic gardens and 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 mm. sort of battling a little mm. bit just thinks this is too hard. Mm. Yeah. No, don't get involved. But mm. but that's the wrong attitude. And and, and, and those problems around insurance and planning, yeah. they're not insurmountable. No. Yeah. They're, they're actually they're actually yeah. not because there's models that that have reconciled those issues. Yeah. yeah so so I'd, I'd joining the garden club group. Hopefully that will give it all a new focus. Critical mass. Mm. Yeah, a bit of lobbying. I'll, I'll go to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think they certainly do it at Geelong because I've yeah. been at Geelong Gardens yep. and there was a group of maybe eight women, uh, I would say 60 plus, yep. Um, tending to the her, uh, herbaceous border. Yeah, absolutely. Right, yeah. and, and they were having a ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and it was great. I went up and had a yak, and they were more than willing to share some That's information. It. And, yeah. um, so it adds to the garden as well because it, it gives a point of um, discussion yeah. to visitors if, if yeah. there's people in the garden. So it is a useful thing to be able yeah. to do. And, and they do a magnificent job of tending the perennial border. So that's their focus. That's their, it's, I think they're called the Perennial Border Friends. 
But the Melton Botanic Gardens have got the Lakers who look after the, the, the water bodies and they've got the Creekers who are yeah. doing the very, very vegetation on the creek. And Fantastic. So maybe know. that's the way of sort of organising it in that they have their zone. Mm. You know, they have their That's area right. to look after. So from a management point of view, it's not so difficult yeah. to sort of work out, well, when are they coming in and what are they going to do? It's focused. It's a that's focused. That's a good thing. idea. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's a really good idea. I'll that sooner. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll let you all go. Oh, no, no, no. It's a terrific call. Um, thanks for putting the call to, through. Um, see focus being put onto the gardens. They're so important. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good, good luck, Pat. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Right, uh, we're going next to uh, Mem. Good morning, Mem. Good morning. Um, oh, uh, last week Penny gave out... I have two questions. Penny gave out a number for the um, organic manure people. Was that the sheep? Sheep manure? Yes. Oh, yes. yes, it might have been. Um, but the number didn't... Um, well, it said it was not the correct number. Ah. I rang it twice just in case I had made the mistake. Right. So I have a look, I have a feeling um, that that the group was taken over. It's it's now under a new management, but I do know that they're online um, if you look them up online, I you did, will and I got all sorts of organic people. Uh, <laughs> organic <laughs> people, or I organic? I don't have patience to look right. to a thousand. Uh, well, but but the, they are simply called Grow Organic. Ah. And if you just type in Grow Organic, That's better. Yes. it should come up, and well, you, so will get, you will get. Um, there the may have been a change of phone number, but you should get the current one. So okay. it's just Grow Organic. Yeah, I hope they don't think that that means everything organic. <laughs> However, the next question is about the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. Yeah. Yep. I um, read a bit of the proposal, the 82-page proposal mm-hmm. that they're going to do to the, the Melbourne, yep. and I cannot believe that they would change the terrace tea room opposite the lake into a conservatory and put instead coffee carts and food carts around the gardens. I think that sounds absolutely gross. Mm. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting um, master plan, the, 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 the gardens master plan. The, um, the, I mean, there was a lot of community consultation happening, you know, through the, through the, through the process, and so the, there probably were opportunities for that for that, that view to be tabled. The, um, the, yeah, look, I, I, I'm not completely across the detail of, of, of that beyond, um, you know, conservatories are a really, really interesting way of engaging people, uh, you know, with a, a number of interesting different plans. Um, and they I think... They could actually change the two or more... Um, hothouses currently and do that area into a conservatory. Yeah. Extend it onto the lawn, whatever. It's right next to toilets. It would attract people. Yeah. I, I, I think the master plan, um, not looking at that issue in isolation, but I actually think the master plan is quite a visionary piece of planning and documentation. I don't care for their vision. No, no, no that, and that's fine. It's, um, you know, it's... it's uh, coffee carts. And food carts where there'll be disposable plates thrown everywhere, I hope, um, sounds 
terribly, terribly lower. Oh, it just would lower the tone of the gardens. Yeah. Oh, look, uh, uh, it's certainly not the intent to lower the tone of the gardens. I think well, the, the no, the, that would. But, yeah, I think the aim of the master plan is to really... Um, you know, s- yeah, s- celebrate the relationship that we have. I know the, I- the idea might be, but they've chosen the wrong way. Mm. Oh, well, I'll leave you with that. Yeah, no, that's fine. Mem, before you go, um, Evan just looked up uh, Grow Organic Fertilisers um, online, yeah. and we've got a phone number for you. Yep. 5964 4846. No, that's, I haven't. That's strange I in that. I don't have the number that Penny gave me in front of me, but I hope that's a different one. It's strange in that it says that it's in Box Hill, but a 59 number is out my way. Yeah. That's right. Uh, out in the southeast. So, so, retail <coughs> so I'm not quite sure why there's the two there. But anyway, yeah. give that a try. And yeah, I'll, give that a try. It's the only number okay. that comes up. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye. So they're building a new conservatory. Oh, it, it, it's probably 10 years off. Oh, right. Yeah, but the, but the long-term plan said that the, the footprint there... Yeah. Um, to, to introduce a iconic glass house, and oh, right. <clears throat> but yeah, that's 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 not imminent. Uh, the nature and science precinct is um, that's the that's the bit of work that we're looking at at the moment, um, which is essentially the area in around the observatory and the observatory entrance, uh, opposite the shrine, um, to to make that area. Uh, it's essentially a new herbarium. So the herbarium building, it seems like every 30 or 35 years, the herbarium. Um, reaches capacity. There was a so, so there's this cycle, um, but we've been doing some work on a, a, a an underground vault, vaulted conservatory, um, and the conservatories. Uh, sorry, the um, uh, herbarium. The herbarium's been a real mysterious place. You know what happens in behind the walls of the herbarium? Is, are there herbs in there? Or <coughs> and it's the it's the herbarium collection. So yep. you, know, you know, really, really significant um, uh, state botanical collection. Um, and, and, and it's birthing at the seams. So, oh, so there's a, so there's a, a, a bit of work that we're doing at yep. the moment, which yep. is looking at the feasibility of vaulting that and looking at that whole precinct as being a really engaging, uh, active space for, for visitors, which are demystifying a little bit of that role of mm. herbarium. Mm. It is a mysterious yeah. place. I, 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 about a year ago, needed a, uh, a Zelkova serrata um, that had been planted, right. and 40 of them, and I wasn't so sure it was exactly serrata. Uh-huh. And uh, so I got an appointment in there. And it is. It's all it's like cloak and gag- daggers. <laughs> you, you go and you ring a bell, yeah. <laughs> and you wait. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> it's like so the faceless place. <laughs> and then somebody opens the door, and yeah. you go in there, and, and there is just stuff everywhere. Yeah. And I can see why they're bursting at the seams, yeah. because oh, gosh, there yes, is just specimens yeah, yeah. and piles yeah, yeah. of paper yeah. and specimens yeah. everywhere. It's, it's a so fascinating place. It is a fascinating yeah. place. You could spend weeks in there, yeah. you know, but you're not allowed in. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And, and, and the Nature and Science Precinct is, is providing that a, a, a public window into, in, into the world. Of, of I thought you were going to say everywhere. you were going to put them all in a vault. <laughs> 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 there will still be the, 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 the areas that people won't be able to access. <laughs> um, so there will still be a level of mystery. Um, it is a, it needs the mystery. <laughs> I think the mystery is great. Uh, but that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the main push, and that's the main push for the next, um, you know, uh, yeah. I think the next decade, uh, the main push is nature science precinct. There's a few things down at Cranbourne that we're looking at, 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 at facilitating. Uh, the glass house is, you know, down the track a bit. Mm. But master plan said on that footprint, um, yeah, mm. have, a, have a structure in there which is world class. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fantastic.
Okay, we'll go next to Michael, who's down in Gippsland. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, all. Um, beautiful morning this morning uh, out here in Gippsland. Nice sun. Right. Uh, yes. How about over in Melbourne? Um, we're stuck in the studio, so we don't know what's going on outside. We're in the They've locked us away. No windows. <laughs> mysterious Ah, uh, uh, yes, the shelter's existence. Uh, um, I've called up for a couple of, uh, just two, two subjects. One, I don't know which one I'll start first, but I decided on uh, Bacillus and Pillus. Um, and particularly uh, now Bayer have just released a new product. Uh, they're finally uh, moving with this. It's been around for a long time. The Bacillus of Tillis, uh, from what I can gather, it um, is able to moderate practically every other microorganism on the planet. It just seems to be one of those top-tier um, organisms, uh, bacteria, I mean, um, that is uh, uh, sort of like at the top of the hierarchy. And it's um, even speaking to a gardener uh, who was at a, um, a fruit shop the other day, I was really surprised to find out that he'd heard of it and he was actually a wealth of knowledge. Um, and actually prior to uh, my last visit, uh, he stopped me, he ran to the car and he said, oh, there's just one more thing. <laughs> and he said, Bacillus subtilis, uh, particularly the spores, so the... The bacillus can exist either as a bacteria or it can go into the spore uh, mode of reproduction and it produces this really tough spore that can survive all kinds of things, even being in outer space. Um, uh, it's probably the most... Oh, well, no, it is the most uh, studied microorganism on the planet. So um, the market gardener came out to the car and he's, uh, as I was leaving and he said, I've got a trade secret for you. Don't tell anybody. That's why I'm calling up. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he said, um, oh, look, uh, don't tell anybody, but we've been using Bacillus subtilis to treat powdery mildew for decades. But it was difficult to get into Australia, so only a few people actually used it. But everywhere else in the world, uh, it's used, even in uh, agricultural areas. So it's not only a fungal uh, moderator of, of uh, bacterial of the bacterial kingdom. It's also um, uh, used in aquaculture. Uh, so uh, and also it incidentally produces uh, uh, vitamin K, which is very very important for us people, uh, mammals, uh, humans, um, or K2. I mean. Um, so, have you heard of it? Have you heard of uh, using uh, Bacillus subtilis uh, yourself? Uh, powdery mildew, uh, fungal diseases. It's used on uh, to improve the root, uh, to improve the soil, uh, bacterial composition in soil. The only thing uh, I, don't, I, don't, I think we're all looking a little bit like we don't haven't I, heard much about I, it. But I, I think, think there's four people just shaking their heads, <clears> going, "Not oh, heard right, of this I, specifically." Well, but I do yeah. think uh, something back back in my mind somewhere at a lecture years and years ago, I'm pretty sure a, a species of bacillus was in a compost or something like that and and it it, it helped the microbial activity okay. of soil. That's uh, the only thing I can... That that would be right. And bacillus thuringiensis mm-hmm. is dipel. 
Right. Right. So that, but that's a different different thing again. Yes. It's a different, yes. different, different species. Mm. We just did a quick Google search. As you're suggesting, it, it's, it looks like it's got all manner of applications. But oh. it, it's not something that we in the studio are, are, are across. Yeah, uh, uh, that's interesting. I, I, well, look, I could I could go on for hours and hours and hours on on what I I've discovered. So I just stick specifically to the agricultural sort of area because it's a uh, plant show. So um, yeah, so it's used as a uh, fungal uh, suppressant, uh, yeah. powdery mildew. Um, it displaces other populations, so it uh, moderates them. It, oh, actually, one interesting fact I might as well say that the uh, uh, Antibiotic Bactatracin uh, was uh, the first antibiotic uh, was um, uh, synthesised from uh, the Bacillus subtilis. It, it's able to uh, pull up alongside another offending bacteria, give it a dose of uh, Bacillus subtilis, uh, uh, Bactatracin, and knock it out. So it's even able to do that. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Oh. Um, and one other question, this is uh, about the um, state of the environment. We used to have the ability to go out and say, look, you know, we don't want that forest chopped down and, you know, form a, uh, a protest and, you know, that sort of uh, put an end to that. But particularly I'm worried about all of the uh, loss of uh, catchment area because now they're all being trans. Uh, transformed into these pine plantations that are incredibly thirsty. Mm. So entire areas of our of our continent are being devoted to uh, producing these uh, plantation forests that um, seem to be quite destructive. Uh, what do you think about... Uh, I, I know the work of Peter Andrews was uh, very focused on um, revegetation and uh, management, uh, is there any hope? <laughs> <laughs> we have to. We've got. We have to have hope, don't we? <laughs> yeah, you would think that uh, with this sort of global environmentalism, that things like that would still be important. Uh, it seems to be focused on the on the weather. Are you a, are, are you a member of Landcare? And uh, I've done bush regeneration, so I know that once you get beyond a certain point, if the if a, an area isn't populated with enough diversity, it just becomes infiltrated by weeds. So mm. one of the first things that uh, I, I... Well, yes, I've been in uh, uh, bush regeneration groups, you know, a local area kind of thing. Some people uh, look at their um, uh, botanical gardens. Uh, I've always sort of really enjoyed the banter and of getting together with a local... Um, Bush Regeneration Group, and uh, that's been really interesting, digging up weeds and that kind of thing. Yep. Mm. Well, all you can do is spread the word. Okay. You uh, know, education. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I don't get put in jail if I decide to protest something like a, uh, or, you know, a, a future um, plantation forest. But yeah. Safety uh, in numbers. <laughs> safety in numbers. I, I might take on that Bacillus the Pillis uh, style of existence. Right, just just knock just work. knock them out by stealth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, 
thanks very much for the uh, show this morning. Um, yeah, that's about it. Okay. Uh, two, two really interesting, I- interesting topics, so thanks for sharing. Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks, Thank Michael. Bye. That number, if you'd like to join us this morning, we are running through until 9.15. The number is 94190155. We have John Arnott, Evan Golke and Jeremy Francis in the studio. So we would love to hear your thoughts. That number, 94190155. Now, um, a query on the outside line. Anna has a plum tree that still has its leaves on. When can she prune her tree? It's interesting how warm it's been. Mm. Um, a lot of trees are holding their leaves still. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I brought ginkgo in today, and it, it's it's just starting. It's just starting to turn. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Which it is always late, but um, you know, I just just love ginkgos. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but like our pumpkins are still looking fantastic. Um, now, normally, mm. probably three weeks ago, they would have been looking incredibly sad and falling over, but I've still got capsicums that are looking yeah, good. Yeah, the chilies. You know, yeah. Yes. It's, it's extraordinary. So it's, it's just crazy. been basil. very, very warm. Still yeah, got basil, basil. I've got basil yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's <laughs> crazy. Yesterday, yeah. I said, how can this be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be the thing, doesn't it, that our, our springs and early summers seem to be doing more or less the right thing, but our late summers and autumns are really becoming much warmer and drier. Yeah, yeah. I've had a fair bit to do with a, an agronomist that does turf over the last couple of years through our kids' school, mm-hmm. and uh, I know he's repeatedly said in meetings that our seasons are moving forward, forward. a bit. Yeah, and uh, you know, so when you start, you know, coring or or, or start over sowing things like that, it's all moved on six weeks. Right. Or even more. And this year is a great example of that, I think, how it's moved on. Yep. Yeah. Um, but pruning your tree, just you can prune it now. But I, I always hold off. I don't see the point in jumping in too early um, and, and pruning it too early. But you can also summer prune uh, plums. Uh, pr- it was a plum, wasn't yes, it? Yeah, plum. plums. Um, if and you plums want are to. tough. They, they are. They are. Um, I hack mine off every year. I don't take much care, to be honest. And... Uh, it doesn't make much difference whatsoever. Yep. <coughs> compared so, yeah, compared to other things where you need to consider your cuts and yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. It's just about managing size. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> plum trees. So Anna, if you're really wanting to get stuck into it, I can't see any reason why you shouldn't. But um, <coughs> on the other hand, if if you want to hold off, um, I'm sure those leaves are going to drop. We just yeah. because this the weather's about to change and get a lot yes. cooler, and I think a lot of these. Um, these trees are going to lose their leaves in a hurry. You'd be surprised at the end of next week whether there's still too many things hanging on. Yes, yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. It I will happen. I think Wednesday is going to be 12 degrees. Yeah, I know. And squally <laughs> and snow. And yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And snow on Mount William. and all Absolutely. Yep, yep. What else have you brought in this morning? We oh, well, I brought Ginkgo because I just... I just I They're just gorgeous think it trees. is it is the best um, deciduous tree I think in my my book. It has the best autumn colour, mm. and uh, I sort of did a bit of tidying up. I've got a copse of about fourteen of them. Oh, so. lovely! And so when they drop, um, you just have this golden carpet. Beautiful. And mm. if you keep a look on my Instagram page, I, I will photograph it over the next couple of weeks nice. because it just does look amazing. And I first saw it at a botanic gardens in Bologna, I think, okay. years and years ago, where there was this huge one. And I was there in autumn, 
And for about 20 metre diameter around the tree, it was just a golden carpet. Yeah, and I superb. thought, wow, that, that is the tree. And, and they hold their colour on the ground for mm-hmm. a long time as well. That's what's really good about them. Yeah. Um, and they're not so big that they blow around like an oak tree, you know, and blow, you know, unless you bust them up. You know, oak tree leaves tend to blow around for a year and a half. Plain uh, <laughs> <laughs> plain tree leaves. Yeah, yeah. plain tree leaves the same. Um, so th- yeah, one beauty of them is so just thinking them, they drop their leaves, the deciduous conifer. But I, I was just of all the deciduous conifers I can think of, that one's got more character in the winter than any of the others. Mm. Uh, the metasquores, the taxodiums, mm, yeah. and the, there's not too many of them. But the mm. ginkgos in winter are just glorious. Yeah, they have a mm. wonderful form, don't they? Yeah. Talking Geelong Botanical Gardens, they hey. have the most magnificent old ginkgo there. Yeah. It must be planted in about 1850 or 1870 uh, or something like that. 1860 something. Yeah, it's yeah. incredibly old and it's, uh, it's not that big really, um, but it's really contorted and yeah. kind of hang, a bit like, you know, you're saying mm. they hang, they, yeah. they're, not, they're, not, they're not a normal form, are they? No, I, it's, a, it's Chinese, I'm, I'm, I might be wrong here, but I think it's, it's more or less extinct in the wild in China, it's, uh, it's, it's, but, it's a, but it's one of the sort of sacred trees yeah. of that culture and uh, one of several plants which, have, uh, which are crucial to the culture and, and so you, you see it outside temples uh, yeah. uh, right throughout China, but I think it's more or less extinct yeah. in the wild. It is one of those, the, the world's great... Um, backstop to extinction, extinction in the wild, but uh, so widely planted. Yeah, um, that, that that that's I, I think that is right. Yeah. Well, we have fossils, fossil records of this in Australia. At Anglesey. Right, Anglesey. Yeah, 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 I've seen it in uh, Central Queensland in in fossil records there. I've seen it in the U- in US mm. in yep. fossil records yep. there. So yep. it, it was yeah. a, more or less across the world. Yeah, it was a, it was a dominant thing. Incredibly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Common tree throughout yeah. throughout the whole world. Yeah, and the le- you see the leaves in coal deposits everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, I, I, I don't know. There's there's many 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 different varieties. It, it, the 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 cops that you've got, it's the same cultivar. Uh, I. I've been brave and gone with seed grain. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and I know people sort of go, oh, no, you're yeah, going right. to have um, vomit-smelling fruit all over the ground. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. <laughs> there is that. Um, and, you know, absolutely, that's a risk. Yeah. Um, but I don't find that such a big deal. I know we used to maintain a garden years and years ago where my brother first discovered it, and he said, oh, it smells like vomit. Um, but um, if you pick them up yep. relatively quickly, there's no issue. It's when they rot. Yeah. That's when it becomes. Really, really something. But the wonderful thing about seed-grown stuff is that they all turn a little bit differently. So if it was a, if I had grafted ones, yep. they would all go at the same time. Yep. Yep. And I find that a little bit boring, yeah, right. to be honest. It's the same as alcovas. You know, I really prefer the species that, that variation because you get the variation. Yeah. So you get goldens, you get yep. oranges, you get reds through the autumn colour. Yeah, nice. Whereas otherwise, if you have the the, the, the grafted mm. ones—it's all—it all happens at once, which and, and it's all exactly the same, yeah. which is which is fine if you're, um, you know, a copse of aspen, where entire hillsides um, yeah. all turning at once. That's sort of a different thing. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do I do like sort of braving it and going with the seed grain ones, yeah, and, and I do think they grow a lot better as well. We've we've planted lots of the. Um, grafted ones, and I just don't think they grow as well. Got the same vigour. Yeah, yeah sure. and I, I wonder how they'll be in the longer term. Mm. Mm. So, 
Um, yeah, so I could have a few females in there, yeah. um, but time, time will tell. The, uh, the, the tree of Geelong, uh, it's got those magnificent aerial truncheons, like the, yes. they're, they're like aerial growth. Um, but it's, it's, it's a, a male tree, but it's got a couple of branches that were grafted onto it that are female branches. Oh, really? Yeah, so that, early days when it was a little tree, they must have been playing around with grafting female branches onto, onto male trees. And, um, it seems like an odd thing to do. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a cracking tree. Mm. I think it's pro- probably the best ginkgo in Australia. Uh, it'd have to be yeah. right up there. Yeah. And, it's just, and it's beautifully sighted as well. Yeah, you know, really nice. It, it's really lovely. Yeah. When I was in Japan last year, um, I was wandering through the uh, botanic gardens in, I'm not sure now, Kyoto maybe, and um, there was a, an older fellow uh, with a bag wandering around under a copse of ginkgos, and this is winter, mm-hmm. and he was picking up the fruit, um, obviously taking it home to eat to it. To eat, yeah. And, yeah. and that's one of the reasons it has survived, isn't it? Because it, it is a fruit that's eaten. Yeah. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons. I, I'm sitting here, and, and I knew that it was edible, but I've, I've, never, I've always wondered what they taste like. Well, Does anyone can, actually taste them? You can buy you them can in buy, um, yeah. Narita Airport uh, in <laughs> packets, and they're disgusting. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I bought a packet for you, I wonder what they're like. Yeah. And um, maybe it was the way they prepared, I don't know. I saw some cans of it at Springvale Market a couple of weeks ago. Cans <laughs> right. of the Ginkgo by Loba. Yep. Canned Ginkgo. Mm. Did, didn't didn't buy it. Didn't buy it. <laughs> 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 oh, you should have. Probably should pro- pro- probably. Yeah. Apparently, uh, it's good for the memory. Uh, oh, excellent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Never read one again. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Okay, we're going to go next to Ray in Mount Waverley. Good morning, Ray. Yeah. Good morning. Um, I've got. Um, um, I've noticed this year. Uh, excuse me. With my spring onion, I've been getting these black uh, fruit-like things getting onto it, and they seem to um, uh, kill it, uh, kill the uh, spring onion off, uh, or make it deteriorate in its growth. You know, mm. just wondered if you knew what it might have been. Black aphids. Aphids, yeah. yes, mm. yes. Black you aphids. get them, you get them a lot on chives and right. things as mm. well. They attack that whole allium family. Right. Yeah, you can just, like with chives, you just cut them all off and throw it away. But really you need to move them around a little bit and not have them in the same spot every year. That's what I find. The other thing is they will go when Mm. the cold weather really hits. Mm. Mm. Oh, okay. So So, um, I cut all mine back the other day, just back to... Stumps really, because yep. it all looks yeah. daggy anyway. Because of the aphid infestation, oh, was just or just, daggy, just the annual management. A little bit of aphid on them, and it just um, just tidies them up, and then they get new growth yep. soon enough. Yeah, yeah. I've predominantly found this because I've had them sort of in pots, and I've probably had quite a lot of spring onion in pots, and I just wondered if uh, you know they're crowding each other out a little bit too much or something like that. Um, plus, you know, we had a very hot summer, and I thought. The fact that uh, you um, you tend to put the pots in the shade quite a bit, and uh, these aphids might thrive more in mm. those situations. They certainly thrive when the plants are struggling. Yes, yes. So maybe they were a bit too crowded mm. in the pot as well. But um, mm. yeah, just but it's generally no big deal. No, exactly. No. You could either you could you know cut them back. You'd even cut them back and divide them. And then we can cut it back to almost ground level and let them sprout again. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Or less, yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yep. Okay. Mm. And then it'll be all lovely and fresh again. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, I just thought I'd mention one thing. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, composting uh, 
this year and I've uh, come across uh, another product that uh, could be handy for some people uh, is um, uh, a bean chaff, coffee bean chaff. Oh, yeah. You can, you, can um, you know, maybe get funding with a local roaster, which there's many of throughout Melbourne now, and you can just ask them if I, you can pick up a few bags of it. Yep. You can mix that with your leaves and everything, and uh, yep. I think it's very, very neutral pH, but uh, it's so fine it'll break down so quickly. It's uh, mm. it's, it's a good um, sort of uh, complement to uh, your complete mixture of compost, mm. you know, yep. with your leaves and so forth. Yeah, I saw a cafe garden mulched with uh, coffee grounds <laughs> a few years ago in right. the, out in the sticks somewhere. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that's good or bad. I'm not too sure. You say it's um, pH neutral. I, I, I had a yeah. feeling it was About 6.5 roughly coffee grounds, but I'm, I'm actually mixing coffee grounds, coffee chaff with leaves. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I think oh, you're better be off composting it with, yeah. with a whole, you know, lots mm. of other materials. Mm. I wouldn't yeah, just yeah. use coffee grounds. No. no. Oh, no, it's, it's too thick, actually, yeah. um, even when I use it. You can put some in a worm farm, but just layer it sort of like no more than one millimetre thick maybe every couple of weeks. But the worms love that grittiness as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Good. yeah. Okay, good nice point. Sir. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Ray. Bye. Bye. Ah, back to what you brought in, Evan. Oh, the other one that I brought in, you have this at Cloud Hill, don't you? I, um, this looks a lot like lamb's ears. Um, and I planted a it... A lot bigger. Yeah, a lot bigger. <laughs> I planted it in uh, at the kids' school, and I was there the other the other night, and, and one of the um, staff came over, and they said, oh, those lamb's ears, they're massive. And I thought, oh, okay, yeah, well, well they're not lamb's ears, it's a flomus. Okay, right. oh, um, right. Uh, and it's... Um, Flomus russelliana. It's uh, it grows like lamb's ears in that it spreads, but it has a, a much fatter leaf. But it it has that softness. Yes. Um, it's I suppose it's about twelve centimeters across and about fifteen centimeters long. The actual mm. leaf leaf itself. Um, it hugs the ground, and like other flomus, it throws up yellow spikes. Okay, so it's yellow as well. Yeah, yep. I saw this years ago at uh, at the Burnley Gardens, and um, was um, you know I was thinking I was going to nick a bit, but you know <laughs> you better behave. I, I better not. And and then it took years to find it actually at a nursery, <laughs> and I did find it a few years ago, and, and I bought bought quite a few and 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 stuck them in, and I put some at the kids' school and, and around the place. And I found that it's incredibly drought tolerant. Mm. So, like the other flomus is as well. Mm. Um, flomus fruticosa is incredibly drought, drought tolerant. But the good thing about this one is it stays very small. So it, it sort of is a ground hugging uh, herbaceous perennial, and um, and would suppress weeds. Absolutely yeah. suppresses weeds. Mm. It's so dense, mm. just like lamb's ears yeah. is. Mm. Um, but you get the benefit of sort of knee-high or 600-mil high flower spikes right, yeah. coming up off it. Mm. It's just a wonderful plant. Flowers in early summer and uh, yeah, mm. quite, quite, uh, quite dramatic with some flowers. And, mm. uh, yeah, there's the, the herbaceous ones and then there's a few shrubby ones. And they, they've been very – most of them are yellows, aren't they? But mm. there's one or two mauves and the mauvey pinks. There's a mauvey pink. And there's one or two whites I can think of as mm. well. In the Russelliana uh, no, no, just a related species, yeah. and uh, yeah. they're all good, tough plants. Med- Mediterranean, and, yeah, Mediterranean yeah. Uh, conditions, and uh, and in fact, most I think 
I suspect, I think, most of them are Mediterranean. That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're useful things for our gardens. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, I've got them planted under trees, and, you know, it's relatively dry, deciduous trees, mm-hmm. and uh, and they it just it gets no attention whatsoever and just kicks along really well and just covers okay. the ground. Mm. Um, so they take a bit of shade as well, as you'd expect with such a, a massive leaf. You say that, and I've got out all in sun, but oh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to equally, try some and show. Equally, it yeah. does it in yep. full sun. I think yep. that's that's the really you know good thing about it that it that it will work in 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 those. Um, mm. Adaptable areas because gardens aren't static, are they? You oh, plant, no. <laughs> you, plant your, you plant your flomus and then you plant a tree next to it, and then it's in full sun for 10 years and then it's and then in it, shade. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so and the neighbours' trees all grow up. And yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so it's obviously an evolving thing. So yeah. it's really useful having plants that will do it in different situations. But And even the flower heads, when they're old, look quite good as well. Sure. Mm. Um, if I, the, other, the other thing I've got here, and I I think I'll bring this in every year because I just love it so much, is um, Boston Ivy, um, which is looking amazing at the moment. It's just about dropped all its leaves at our place, but it's a great big sort of Canadian maple-type yes, leaf. Yes, classic. Um, you see it everywhere around the place um, on buildings and, uh, um, you know, creeping up fences and walls and so on. The one thing that I love about it is that it has these wonderful... In autumn... It has the, the, the leaf stems, of which are about 25 centimetres long. They're also pink. Mm. And they, um, they stay, once the leaf has dropped, they don't, these often stay on the plant. So okay. you get this huge sort of line of, of horizontal pink sticks. It's like a sculpture. It, it is. And when you get the sun through them, they're just stunning. Gorgeous. Um, so, you know, I think... A lot of people are afraid of Boston Ivy, I think, because Ivy is in the word, mm. in, in the name. Um, but Boston Ivy generally, as long as you can uh, separate it from your house, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you have a pergola of it, you don't want to have the pergola connected to the house. Right. Because it will... Connect to the house. It'll connect to the house <laughs> and it'll take over your house and you'll never see out of the windows again. Um, and it'll leave little footprints everywhere. Yep. So the idea with a plant like this is to, to have it on a separate structure and not have it connected to something that, um, that you'll, you'll have to prune it off because it is a lot of work. Yep. Um, but if it's on a separate structure, mine is on a pergola where it hangs back down. Oh, lovely. So it hangs about three metres and you sort of walk through it. Nice. Um, nice. You know, thinking you're Tarzan. <laughs> um, and, and just the way it moves in the breeze. Yeah. It's, it's just the most magnificent plant. So often you just see it on buildings, just clad on the buildings. But if you grow it on a structure where it can hang, it adds another dimension mm. to, the, to the look. Lovely. Yeah, it's very dramatic. I, I, my only, uh, having sold hundreds and hundreds of pots over it, I, I, I'd always suggest to... Uh, Planted on a uh, don't plant it on a painted surface. Yes, <laughs> yes right. yeah. Any unpainted surface is fine. Yeah. And it's and it's actually you know, you know hangs on mm. with its little aerial rootlets, but uh, it it uh, doesn't do any harm at all, mm. except if it's painted because then when you've got to repaint, you you have to sand back. Mm. <laughs> That's and right. A lot of work. So there is there is a way of controlling it in that, and and uh, my brother and and I have both both done this in gardens um, you can bait, if you've got a, a large building like a commercial building you can put a steel frame around a space and you have that that steel coming out 
off the wall. As a facade, off almost. The wall, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, like a blade yes. coming out off the wall. So that gets very hot. It doesn't grow on it as well. It will grow on it, but it doesn't grow on it as well. But what it means is you can run around with a pair of, in a commercial situation, run around it with a pair of motorised shears and cut it off. Mm. So it's really easy to maintain because it gives you that very fine point to prune it from. Yeah, sure. Now, th- this first happened in a garden in Camberwell that my brother was looking after. They put it around the windows and it was just sheet metal. And it worked a treat, apart okay. from where it just here and there got underneath the sheet metal between the building. So if it's built into the structure... So as a clad, almost like a clad. Uh, a so it's, it comes out off the building right. um, okay. perpendicular okay. to oh, the brick walls. Right, gotcha, yeah. Right. And you bring it out, say, 300 millimetres. Yep. And we've just recently done it on a, on a childcare centre on the outside of the building, uh, outside of the centre. Yeah. Um, to to reduce heat and so on into the into the building, and this is just a way of maintaining it, sure, mm. and, and not making it too high as well. Um. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? When vertical gardens first uh, uh, came in about, what, 15, 20 years ago, my, my first thought was, well, well, Boston Ivy and Virginia Creeper give the effect of a, well, a vertical garden, a monoculture vertical garden, uh, without all the all the paraphernalia which uh, vertical gardens <laughs> involved in the in the heartburn when they they suddenly die because yes. the irrigation system stopped working. But you do get that vertical face of foliage, which is very very dramatic, mm. and uh, um, and even in hot, quite hot areas. So I can think of Boston ivy growing in uh, uh, the uh, UWA, the University of Western Australia, and uh, you know there's. Um, Pretty hot. Yeah, very hot, intensely hot and very windy, and yet still doing pretty well. Mm, mm. There are small... Oh, sorry. No, no. That vertical wall, it's been happening for centuries. Mm. It's just that we're reimagining it or or just thinking about different techniques at the moment. But that green wall's been around for a long, long, long time. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little bit with you in that I, I love the idea of climbers going up, growing in natural ground, mm. rather than the intensive um, use of resources yep. to keep um, <laughs> well, vertical, vertical hydroponics. Going. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's massive yeah. the resources yeah. that are required to continually pump water through them yeah. and so on. Um, and if the water drops out for mm. a few days, whooshka, you know, 60,000 yeah, plants gone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and that did happen in Sydney on that, that large building up there where they did lose 60,000 plants wow. literally wow. overnight. Yeah. Um, so um, a planter boxes are, are okay, yeah. but when you have these sort of vertical wall systems where they, they've got to be continually dripping with water, I'm just trying to, trying to think of the French... Uh, um, landscape architect who who, who Pat- really pushed that idea. Patrick Blanc. Oh, yeah, yeah. Patrick, that's right, yeah. Patrick Blanc. And yeah. his, his amazing presentation at a landscape conference, uh, I don't know, about 10, 12 years ago, an extraordinary character. And But, but his passion was actually tropical waterfalls mm. and, and these, these microclimates, all these climates that form in uh, behind waterfalls. And yep. he'd spent years and years and years travelling around uh, the, the tropical uh, rainforests and taking photographs of the plants behind waterfalls, yeah. constant mist. Yeah. And there's, a, a, there's thousands of them, and they are, every single one of them is extra, extraordinary. And he had thousands of photographs. 
photographs. We saw thousands of photographs <laughs> over about 25 minutes. Uh, I, everyone was just glued to their seat. It was the most amazing thing, but yeah. utterly bewildering. Yeah, so that's what we really need, tropical waterfalls. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. But, you know, things like Boston Ivy, and there's a good example in um, Auburn Road in Hawthorne near Burwood Road. There's a, a, an apartment block there, which is four or four. I think four stories high, and on the north face, growing out of the neighbor neighbor's garden, mm-hmm. is a Boston ivy plant. It's been there for a long time. It goes right to the top. Right. Gosh. So it covers that whole northern facade. It's been there for as long as I can remember, maybe 20 years uh, mm. since I first noticed it. Yeah. And it's you know, and it thrives every year, and it keeps that northern facade very cool, and it takes no resources. No. Because it's in the ground. Yeah. So what we've been working on is how to control mm. this plant. Yeah. And so, you know, we're hoping this will work really, really well in this commercial building because we have the other experience of the other place. But sure. if right. you can control it, then it's got to be a better result than putting plant Vertical hydroponics Absolutely. everywhere. Yeah. 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 And there are smaller varieties. There's um, Parthenocissus um, lowii, which is slightly smaller. There's also... An evergreen one, uh, Sycamensis, okay. which some people grow as a ground cover, but it does certainly climb and, uh, and sticks on. It has a very small trifoliate leaf, okay. and uh, it's a lovely little, little, little one to go up onto a building. There's another one that we use occasionally, Henriana, mm. which is uh, slightly less vigorous in its growth, but deciduous, and uh, that's known as the silver vein creeper. Oh, and, yes. uh, and has, well, silver veins in these, um, 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 what am I trying to say, uh, palmate leaves, uh, five leaflets. The venation. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and so there's, there's quite a lot of character in the foliage during the summer. There, mm. There's even blues and mauves running through the foliage, mm. um, and then very dramatic autumn colour as well, right. and, and on a plant which is... Uh, a little less vigorous than Boston Ivy and, yes, and Virginia yes, Creeper. I think yeah. that's on the back of the cafe. At your yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, um, um, it does need a structure a little bit more. It doesn't stick it on. It doesn't quite hang so on well. quite so well. So that's, that's got right. advantages though, <laughs> but, but it doesn't stick on quite so well. But yeah. that is a it is a stunning plant as well. Yes. And mm. as you say, it's not as vigorous. Yeah, um, and not as outrageous. Yep, Jeremy, you brought in a couple of amazing Alstromerias. Oh, yes. Well, uh, long last, we're starting to see Alstromerias of a good height appearing in nurseries. And there's uh, one there whose name escapes me, or rather I I grabbed a pot of it uh, from uh, uh, one of the uh, 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 grower markets, if you like, and I've buried the label underneath the plant. But this this one comes up uh, about... um, well, about two-thirds of a metre high and has uh, pale uh, flowers, a soft yellow with a, uh, a little bit of marking in it. So it's, it's, it's almost white, but it's, uh, but it's a, uh, a really useful pale colour. And the other one is Indian Summer, and this is a, a good metre high. And uh, the Indian summer is... Um, oh, here it is. Whoa. I was, yeah. I was, I was looking around the studio. I, yeah, I wonder where this plant is. I left them lurking in the corner just because they are... Because I actually plucked them from the garden yesterday afternoon, which is what you should do with Alstromerias, of course. You never pick them with secateurs. You pluck them out of the ground. So it shows the full length of the stem. 
and uh, the Indian summer is uh, over uh, a metre, about 1.2 high. And uh, now that's a seed strain, and if you if you look at it on uh, Google, it's it, it, there's uh, there's a bit of variation in the flower, but it but it's a very dramatic flower generally with uh, pinks and ye- uh, with uh, well crimson and yellows, golds and pencil markings, um, and the foliage. There's a lot of pigment in the foliage as well. Uh, it, it, the foliage is very dark, uh, sort of chocolate um, green, mm. very deep chocolate green, and there's a bit of a twist to the foliage as well. And the growth habit is quite incredible. It's it's very vertical. It forms a dense clump, um, and as long as you pluck, remember, always pluck alstroemerias uh, as your dead head, uh, pluck the old stems. We've had a clump flowering for about seven months and it's flowering just as well right now as it was back Gosh. in early spring right. and as you That's walk through our borders uh, the, the, the only things flowering really are the tiny skerricks on one or two of the salvias and the astromerias okay. and we do have another two or three varieties which are, dare I say, florist varieties that have fallen off the back of a truck <laughs> and that's the problem with these darn things is that all the good ones were under contract, grown under contract by the flower growers and, and in theory never released by the flower growers um, and so hence you can go into a florist shop and see these amazing flowers but you never see them in nurseries the ones in nurseries tend to be dwarfs yep. and they're hopeless, they get overgrown they vanish, they're very difficult to keep going unless you've got a very open garden and you go to a lot of trouble and in our case we, we, we um, everything has to compete <laughs> and so those dwarfs are just completely pointless it's the bigger varieties mm. the taller varieties which are the ones to go for and now, the difficulty, of course, is that the tall ones in a pot uh, supplied in the nursery, they take an extra two, three years to produce, and you've got to pay a bit of money for them. Right. And so you just grit your teeth and pay your $25, $30 for a perennial, and then you've got something which is flowering for six months uh, with very little effort and, and uh, is, is one of the great garden plants for our climate. Mm. But you, you just have to expect to pay a bit more money because they're, they're quite a bit more work to produce for the grower and they, they have to be supplied in a fairly substantial pot, not in a uh, 150 mil 16-inch pot. So in a 6-inch in a pot, they, they're... They, they're just not substantial enough to be sold safely. Sure. Okay. But they'll persist in a garden for... Once they're in the garden growing well, yep. uh, they carry on for donkey's years. Yeah. And some of our clumps are about 20 years old. And they, they, they move about the garden a little bit, uh, but they're... Just vegetatively? Uh, yeah. They... Pretty well all the garden... Well, I've not seen any seeding from the garden varieties. Now, having said that, there is a a species which is highly weedy, which spits its seeds out all over the place and runs at a fair old clip uh, through the ground. That's what I remember from maintaining this plant. And uh, and they're to be... Well, avoid that. But the... The uh, garden varieties are a, a, a different kettle of fish altogether. Yeah, good. So, so how do you distinguish the two? 
Well, uh, in the well, just as you're going going round the nursery, avoid the little dwarf things flowering out of the pot only a few inches high. Mm. <laughs> it's the taller ones which you need to mm. look for, and there's a few of these starting to come through mm. uh, just in the last year or two. Mm. Great. And great for mm. giving you some height in a in a border. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the frontal plants. Now we can uh, have plants with the uh, with the flowers sitting just a few inches up from the ground. But uh, you really want something at least knee high, uh, waist height, and and this is at long last what we're starting to see. Yep. Yeah, well this one is uh, it's a metre. It's more yeah. than a metre. Yeah, it's exactly. brilliant, isn't it? And, and, and it just performs so well, tucked in amongst uh, very competitive Rebecca's and, and mm. Ligularis and such like. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. Now, what... Have you got in the pocket? Oh, here, a couple Jeremy? of <laughs> a couple of mate of mine, Peter Lee's uh, hellebores, oh, right. and, and Peter's been supplying most of the hellebores you see through nurseries for quite a while now, and you, you recognise his rather fancy labels, and yeah. he's been. Uh, Peter goes to so much fuss with his plants that no one else can be bothered. So they're all produced by one person. It goes to an immense amount of trouble because they're all hand-pollinated. Mm. Every single plant is hand-pollinated really? and no one else can be bothered. <laughs> but Peter does it and, oh, he, and, and he produces all these seed strains which are accurate. Yep. So, they, so he produces this label, for instance, there's one there, double white spotted, and you grow the plant and it is double white and does have spots and it does everything <laughs> that it should do. Whereas back in the old days, we'd, we'd sell a range of hellebores with vague sort of labels and, and it was a really uh, a lucky dip. Um, and he keep, and he's gradually expanding his range. Uh, there's one, he's, uh, another one called Sparkling Shiraz, which is a deep... Uh, midnight purple with a pink fringe, which is just an unearthly flower. Oh, and, and there again, incredible. you can plant it, and you can be, and there'll be a little bit of variation in it, but not much. Mm. They, they, the labels are pretty darn accurate. It mm. is almost black. Mm. Yeah. Yes. yes. So if you have these in the garden, and let's say you put those two in the garden. They obviously will produce viable seed, given their yeah, and and, and, so and you're quite what's right. What's going to happen and then? Are yeah, they going and to and it's an important and it's important to pull out all the seeds, <laughs> all the seedlings that will come up underneath these plants. Or rather, the best thing I find is just to deadhead them at the end of winter. Uh-huh. And uh, so, as the uh, seed pods are building up, just deadhead them. Yep. Now that solves the problem. You don't have any seedlings, and the seedlings will go back to rubbish in one year. That's mm. right. So the seedlings and, and you just lose the original yeah, and, yes. and not only that, the, 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 the plant will actually seed into the its own uh, into the crown of its own crown, if you like. Okay. And the seedling uh, has a yes, okay. has a nasty habit of wiping out the mother plant, right. yeah. and and so you lose your plant. So it's really critical that you just go to that little bit of trouble in the spring, and just deadhead, dead yep. and make sure there's no seedlings, and then the plants uh, are very long lived. They can go on for 30, 40 years. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and you can divide hellebores, can't you? So With a bit of effort, uh, mm. very slowly and gently, it's, mm. and, and there are some particularly uh, uh, astonishing ones which are uh, uh, grown by division and you pay a huge amount of money for them and really don't ever see them. Mm. <laughs> They're just too expensive. Mm. Um, but it is possible. So I guess I'm, what I mean is if you buy some of these, and as long as you're not on selling them, of course, but... 
within your own garden, you could divide yep. them to, to increase the numbers yep, yep. rather than rely on the seed because yes. you, you'll lose just, it. Yeah, I'd, I'd just be very, very conservative as you're dividing them. Mm. As in don't get too greedy. Yeah, so yeah. pull them into little bits <laughs> and grow them in little bits because yeah. you might lose a lot. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you yeah. just divided the, a clump into two, most yeah. probably you'll have two clumps. Yeah, yeah. 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 makes sense. A listener was querying what you were talking about with the, the orange or yellow leaves on the ground. And oh, was the so ginkgo? Ginkgo biloba. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Stunning. Okay. John, we haven't managed to talk about this, and you've put a photo, I notice, up on our Facebook page. So uh, it's uh, called Primnopides ladii, um, which is, a, it is. It's a, a conifer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's, in the, it's like a podocarpus. So it's, um, okay. it's, a, it's a, a conifer in the Australian flora. Yes. We mentioned those mountain peaks where rhododendrons occur. We've, we've had some uh, expeditions uh, to... We've been collecting plant material off seven mountain peaks in far north Queensland. We as in the East Coast Botanic Gardens Consortium. So there's a whole range of botanic gardens up and down the East Coast that are looking at... The, at there's 70... So these cloud forests on seven peaks in far north Queensland, the climate predictions are that they're going to get hotter and drier. Right. There's 70 species of plants that occur nowhere else on planet Earth except for these these seven or eight peaks and sometimes single peaks. Right. Um, so what we're looking at doing is, is taking these 70 endemic species from the peaks and securing them in living collections in botanic gardens mm-hmm. because the scientists and the botanists are not really sure what will happen with drier, hotter conditions on these peaks. It's a threatening process. Yes, yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, some of these things may be in trouble due to this changing condition. Mm. Um, so it's almost like a backstop to extinction population. Okay. So we, we've got some staff heading up for a 10-day um, uh, expedition in a couple of weeks' time. They're climbing Mount Bartlefria, and because it's a five-hour hike up right. and a five-hour hike down, they're going to spend three nights, four nights, uh, on the top of Mount Bartlefria camping, collecting and botanising, uh, and then they'll be bringing down you know, these target species. So this primnopides, it occurs on a, on a couple of peaks. It's called the Mount Spurgeon Black Pine, and Mount Spurgeon is one of those peaks. Yep. Um, so this is just an example of one of those 70 okay. plants that, that we'll be bringing into... Uh, sort of conservation collections up and down the eastern seaboard of Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is rainforest. Uh, it's it's cloud, cloud forest. Cloud forest. Mm. Yeah. It's cla- yeah. So it is rainforest, but it's a lot, it's it's almost they're almost like little heathlands, mm. like subtropical sub alpine heathlands up the mm. very top. So, so what is the growth habit of, uh, of this? That, well, that's a tree. That's a it's and a it's an upright. What height? Uh, depends on the conditions. It could make quite a big tree if it's in in. In, in good conditions. The, the really interesting thing is that these, these mountain peaks get four metres of, of, mm. of, of rainfall a year. So this is inland from Tully, is it? Uh, this is in and around Cairns. Yeah, so Ballinger um, Kerr, Thornton Peak, mm. uh, Mount Spurgeon, there's a whole mm. bunch of these peaks, mm. Mount Wilson. It's a tiny spot, isn't it's it? It's a tiny spot. It's a tiny yeah. spot. When you drive in from the west... Yep. All of a sudden, you go from high grass yep. or savanna into bang into these peaks, peaks yeah. and green, green, yeah, yeah, yeah. green, and cows that can't eat anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Can I can I just add? This is absolutely a stunning plant. It is a stunning it, plant. It, it, it's, yeah. it's a Foliage it's a glaucous green. Yep. Uh, it's I'm, I'm, look, you, you might have better uh, spe- analogies, but it reminds me a little bit of the American coast redwood, Absolutely. but a much lusher effect. Yes. 
Uh, it's a much, a much more handsome thing. It's it really a stunning like a and, and the coast redwood, I might say, is one of the world's great trees. Yeah. I mean, it's apart from the fact it's really tall, but this is a little bit reminiscent, but a much more lovely thing. Mm. Mm. And, and, and very, very, very ancient. I mean, you can almost see that in, as, as a fossil embedded into rock. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it is, a, it is a genuine fossil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, a dawn redwood, an evergreen dawn redwood. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what it is. Mm. Yeah. Uh, by any other name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. just glorious. It's, it's a stunning plant. And so what's we, the we name? cannot let this go. Um, Mount Spurgeon Black Pine, uh, or Prumnopites, mm. P-R-U-M-N-O-P-I-T-Y-S. Mm. Yeah. It's a beautiful green as yeah. well, isn't it? stunning. Mm. It is. Yeah. Excellent. Great project. Great project. Lovely project. And again, it's the role of Botanic Gardens. Yes. Collaborating, conserving. Yes. Uh, all on, um, you know, and, and been a treat to be able to talk about that today on, on World oh, sorry, National Botanic Gardens Day. Absolutely. It's been, it's been good fun. Fantastic. We've run out of time, would you believe? Um, I have to say a big thank you to the team again. We have to urge everyone to go and visit a botanic garden yes. today, John. Yes, indeed. So go and enjoy. Have a wander. There. Just smell, take it all in. If you're in Kyrton, go to Kyrton. If you're in Malmesbury, go to Malmesbury. If you're in St Kilda, go to St Kilda. If you're in Frankston, go to Frankston. Yep, there's, there's a botanic botan- garden near you. There's a botanic garden near you. Absolutely. I also have to say a huge thank you to Robin, who's been handling all the calls this morning. We will, of course, uh, return at 7.30 next Sunday morning. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.